This morning we're back in 1 Peter 3 and we're coming to verses 1 through 6 and you can see that the title of this sermon is The Submission of Godly Wives to Husbands. And so if you haven't already, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter 3 and I'll begin this morning by reading our text for us beginning in verse 1, 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. The word of the Lord says this, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Ansel Adams was a famous landscape photographer who was very popular for the photography that he did, the landscape photography that he did. However, in his early years of his life, he he studied piano. And he showed some talent in it. And so one night he showed up to a party and he began to play Frederick Chopin's F major nocturne on the piano. As he recalls playing that piece, he said, In some strange way, my right hand had started off in F sharp major while my left had behaved well in F major. I could not bring them together. I went through the entire nocturne with the hands separated by a half step. Sadly, that's how many marriages are in our day today. Each spouse is playing a different role than the one that God designed for them to play. And where there should be harmony, there is hardship and headache. Where there should be beauty and and joy and delight in the harmony that God has designed in marriage between a man and a woman There is difficulty and problems. And Satan loves it. Because his aim is to destroy God's perfect design for man and woman in marriage. He wants roles reversed. And he wants each spouse doing anything other than what God has designed for each spouse to do. Why? Because it's an all-out attack against God. You see, when a man and a woman are living out their God-given roles in marriage, God is glorified through that. In fact, it's a picture of Christ and the church. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.32, after telling us, of the role of a man and a woman in marriage, he says this in Ephesians 5.32, This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. John MacArthur said, The sacredness of the church is wed to the sacredness of marriage. So by your marriage, you are either a symbol or a denial of Christ and his church. 
You see, when marriage is distorted, it distorts the picture of Christ and his church. The church submitting to Christ and Christ leading and caring for and protecting his church. That's the picture. And Satan wants that picture distorted. His attack is not just on you and I as as married people, but his attack is against Christ and what marriage symbolizes because he knows that marriage brings glory to Christ. And so Satan speaks lies about what marriage is and how each man and each woman is to function within that marriage union. Now, before we get into our text here in 1 Peter 3, let me just say a few things about marriage. Because I believe that setting this foundation will be helpful for us as we get into the role of the wife in verses 1 through 6, and then the role of the husband down in verse 7. And so let's begin with this simple statement on marriage here. Marriage is between one man and one woman. That's it. Anything outside of that is not marriage. And is not to be supported by any Christian. We don't attend so-called weddings of any homosexual or transgender. Why? Because attending is giving approval to something that is an all-out attack on God and his design for marriage. And as believers in Christ, we can't support that. The only marriage that we support is between one man and one woman who are equally yoked. What does that mean? Two believers or two unbelievers? They must be equally yoked. One man and one woman. That's what marriage is. In fact, we read this morning in our scripture reading, Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And it's really sad that we have to define that. But that's the society, that's the culture that you and I live in today. Our society is trying to redefine marriage. There's an attack on marriage in our day. And where you see marriage distorted in a society, there is a decline in that society. Where you see marriage distorted in a society, there is a decline in society. Church, we are in a major decline. Major. In fact, in Romans 1, we see that it is God's judgment upon a society when you begin to see homosexuality and transgenderism taking place. It's God's judgment. And that's where we're at in America today. But that's not God's design for marriage. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman, period, end of story. But then within that marriage union, between one man and one woman, God has designed that marriage to function with the husband and wife fulfilling certain roles that he has established for them. Not that any of us have established, not that the culture has established, but that God has established for each man and each woman in that marriage. 
Now, to be clear, each one has a different role to play in the marriage union. But that does not mean that one spouse is better than the other. It doesn't mean that one spouse is more important than the other. In God's eyes, both the husband and the wife are equal. In fact, in Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both men and women are created in the image of God. Not just the man, but the man and the woman are created in the image of God. Ray Ortland in the book Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood says, man and woman are equal in the sense that they bear God's image equally. Both men and women have been created in God's image and are therefore equal in God's eyes. However, this equality does not mean that each person doesn't have specific roles that they are to play and that there is not some kind of subordination in which God has designed in his perfect creation in marriage. God has designed subordination. But subordination doesn't mean that the subordinate one is less valuable or of less worth than the one whom they are subordinate to. For instance, if you go to work and submit to a boss, as we talked about back in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20, that doesn't mean that your life is less valuable than your boss's life. Both of you are created in the image of God and both are equal in God's eyes. You both bear the image of God. However, each one of you has a different role to play in the company. And your submission to your boss will help the company to thrive. You see, one of the lies of the enemy, especially with the rise of feminism, is that we have this idea that submission somehow makes one person worth more or of more value than another person. Or that a woman is inferior to a man. But that's not true. That's not true. As Tom Schreiner says, one can possess a different function and still be equal in essence and worth. And so the fact that there are different functions and that one person is subordinate to another does not mean that one person is inferior to another. Submission is something that God has ordained And it is to be the life of the Christian. Submission is to be the life of every Christian. In fact, we've been studying that for weeks now. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we're to submit to the governing authorities over us. But that submission does not mean that we are of less value than those who are governing or ruling over us. They might think that, but it's not true. And the same with a slave and a master or an employee and his employer. In fact, in order for a society to function properly, there must be submission. There must be submission. As I've said before, if everyone is leading, then no one is leading. Because if everyone is leading, then no one's following. But in God's perfect design, he has established it so that there is structure. And that structure comes in the form of submission. 
And that submission then actually becomes something that is good. It's not bad. Submission is good. In fact, let me show you how submission is not something that is a bad thing. Take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. We'll eventually get back to 1 Peter 3, but we're going to take a little sidetrack here. We're going to look at a few passages here in 1 Corinthians 11 and a few other ones this morning as well. But look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. Notice what Paul says there. He says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. You see, Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church who had a misunderstanding of male and female roles and relationships. And here's what what was going on in Corinth at the time. Women in that culture were not highly esteemed, and they were often only used for prostitution. Corinth was a wicked place, an evil, wicked city. But you have women who are getting saved. Women in that culture who hear the gospel and they're getting saved. And they realize then that they have dignity and honor as a child of God, as one who belongs to God. Because it's what the gospel does, right? But there was a problem with this. Apparently, some of the women began to swing the pendulum so far that they began to function in ways that were designed for men to function. They reversed the roles. They thought that they were free to do as they pleased and they were bringing shame to themselves and to their husbands. And so Paul addresses that here. And he reminds these Corinthians about submission, subordination. Notice what he says there first, that Christ is the head of every man. You see, even though a man, as we will see, has authority over a woman, it does not mean that that man is autonomous and just gets to do whatever it is that he wants to do. He can't become a chauvinist and think that he is superior to a woman. In fact, Paul reminds us here that the man is under the authority of who? Of Christ. He's a man who's under authority. Any man who thinks that he has all authority and thinks that he is autonomous must remember that he is not. That's what Paul's reminding him here. You're not. Remember what I said? The Christian life is a life of what? Submission. Submission. He's a man who is under the authority of Christ. This means that men are to love as Christ commands us to love. Men are to live sacrificially as Christ has commanded us to live sacrificially. Philippians chapter 2. Consider others more important than yourselves. Then, continuing on in 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says there in verse 3 that the man is the head of a woman. And this is where the feminists would scream. And where our culture would reject God's perfect design. 
Paul clearly says here that the man is the authority over the woman. That's what the word head there means. It means authority. And Paul clearly says here, the man is the authority over the woman. And listen, this here is not just in the marriage relationship, although that is true. But this is in all of society. This extends here to all aspects of society. God has designed it in his perfect order of creation that in general, women are to be subordinate to men. That's how God designed it. It's God's perfect design. In fact, commentating on this passage, John MacArthur says, quote, man has authority over woman. He is not just speaking, he's talking about Paul. Paul is not just speaking of marriage. He is speaking of every dimension of living in general. The man must recognize God has given him authority and he is to accept that and take it and rule for God. And the woman must realize in any relationship that she has been given the place of submission. This isn't wrong. This is the way God made it. End quote. It's the way God made it. Now you might say, well, what about Galatians 3.28? There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor freeman, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What about that? Well, that verse is not teaching that there is an even leveled playing field and that all functions are to be torn down, like you will hear people argue today. It's not what that verse is teaching there. How do we know? Because there are still males and females. Contrary to what society will tell you, (laughs) there is still only male and female. You are born either male or you are born female. That's it. And even though Paul says there is neither male nor female, we know there are men and there are women. Two genders given by God, that's it. So what is Paul here addressing? He's addressing spiritual equality in Christ. There were those who thought that they were better or more valuable than others. Namely, the Jews, the freemen, and the males. They thought that in Christ they were better. They thought that they were more significant than the Greeks, the slaves, and the females. And Paul destroys that proud thinking. Humbles everybody. Everyone in the church. And he says that men and women are spiritually and ontologically equal as they are both made in the image of God. But that doesn't eradicate the roles that God has given to men and women. It doesn't eradicate the roles. Now, getting back to 1 Corinthians 11.3. Notices Paul continues on there. He says, the man is the head of the woman. They have different functions, different roles. And we see this not only in society, speaking generally about society, but this is also true in the church. In fact, hold your finger in 1 Corinthians 11 and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul gives some instruction to women as he was writing to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 2, this is right after he tells the men, 
that he wants the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And then he goes on to talk about women. And he says here, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Does this sound familiar? It sounds like what we read over in 1 Peter 3, right? And then notice what he says in verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Again, notice the authority that Paul addresses here. The the authority in the church belongs to who? The men. The men. And specifically, the elders in the church, whom Paul will go on to talk about in 1 Timothy 3. And he says there that only men can be elders. Only men. How do we know? Because one of the qualifications of an elder is the husband of one wife. Very clear. It's a what? It's a man. And the same is true for deacons. Because the qualification for a deacon is he must be the husband of one wife. That's God's design for his church. But again, this doesn't mean that the elders are of greater value than all of the lay people in the church. It's not what this means. It doesn't mean that the elders are more significant than everyone else in the church. That's not what this means. It means that they have a unique role to play in which they are to lead, feed, care for, and protect the church. That is their duty. That is their responsibility. It's the responsibility of every elder in the church. Every man whom God has called To be an elder in a church. It's their duty. It's their responsibility. In fact, one pastor calls it their burden. This is the elder's burden. It's their burden to bear. Why does he call it a burden? Because of the great responsibility of taking care of God's sheep. It's not even their sheep. 1 Peter 5, it's very clear. These are God's sheep. And your job, your role as elders in the church is to take care of them. That's what Peter's saying. It comes with responsibility to shepherd and to care for and provide for and teach and lead God's sheep. It's a great task with a great responsibility. Peter even says in 1 Peter 5, he warns the elders and commands them not to lord their authority over the people. He's saying there, look, you aren't some first-class Christian who's above all the people. You're one of the sheep. You just have a different role to play. They're spiritually equal with everyone in the church. They just have a role and a responsibility that's greater than all of the lay people in the church. That's all. And Peter says that they are to serve, elders are to serve with humility and are to be examples to the flock. That's why this pastor calls it a burden. It's a burden to bear. Because of the great task and responsibility that's involved in leading God's people. So Paul says here in 1 Timothy 2 that a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man in the church. And listen, this has nothing to do with a woman's giftedness or lack of giftedness or ability. Has nothing to do with that. 
Paul is not saying here that men are more gifted than women and therefore are to obtain this role. There are very gifted women in the church. Very gifted women in the church today. Even women who are gifted teachers in the church today. But that doesn't give them license to teach or practice authority over a man. They are to use that gift in the proper place in the church. But never to teach or practice authority over a man. Paul is very clear about that. And this has nothing to do with men somehow being superior and women being inferior. It has nothing to do with that. So if it has nothing to do with the lack of giftedness or ability or inferiority, then what is the issue? Why does God command this? Why can't women teach or practice authority over a man? Well, it goes back to God's created order. In fact, notice Paul's argument in verse 13. Notice what he says there in verse 13. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Where does Paul go? He goes right back to where? Creation. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Right back to the beginning. That's why the beginning is so important. We have to understand the book of Genesis. We have to understand the beginning. Paul goes right to the created order to make his argument for male leadership in the church. And he says there, it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. This is the reason for men leading. Because that's the order of God's creation. That's how God did it. The man is to lead and the woman is to submit. But when the roles were reversed, what's the result? The fall. The roles are reversed and then you have the fall. Thank you, Adam and Eve. And it's not as if we're any better, right? Paul says there in verse 14, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Eve went out from under the protection and leadership of her husband, and she became vulnerable, and she fell. And of course, Adam violated his leadership role and he followed his wife. He followed Eve. He violated his role as leader and he is held responsible for his part in the fall too. It's not just Eve. It's Adam as well. In fact, when you read the account, where is Adam? Standing where? Right next to her. Speak up, buddy. Say something. That's your role. It's your responsibility. Guard and protect your wife. But he didn't do that. The roles were reversed. And in came the fall. John MacArthur says the The fall resulted then not simply from disobedience to God's command, but from violating God's appointed roles for the sexes. It's not just that they disobeyed God's command and ate of the fruit that God said not to eat from. But the fall resulted from violating God's appointed roles for the husband and for the wife. Both Eve and Adam violated their God-given roles. 
You see, God's original design was that although man and woman are created equal, made in God's image, each one has a unique role to play in God's perfect design. Now, turn back to 1 Corinthians 11. Before we continue in verse 3, because we haven't finished verse 3 there yet, I want to draw your attention down to verse 8. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 8. Notice what Paul says about man and woman there. Verse 8, he says, For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about Genesis chapter 2, what we just read earlier in our scripture reading. God created Adam first, and then he created Eve from the side of Adam. That's creation. But God said, as we read in Genesis chapter 2, it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so Paul says there in verse 9, For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. It wasn't good for him to be alone. He needed a companion. He named all of the animals. Went through all of them. Not one was suitable for him. Came to the dog and was like, nope, mm -mm, that's not going to (laughs) work. I know we say dog is man's best friend. Nope. That's not working. I need a companion. It's not good for Adam to be alone. So God created the woman. The woman for what? For the man's sake. What does Paul mean by this? He means that the woman was uniquely designed by God to complement what was lacking in the man so that together they could flourish. That's what he means there. He's saying here, Adam couldn't do this thing alone. It wasn't good that he was alone. So what did God do? He created Eve. He created the woman. She compliments him. And together, as each one fulfills their God-given roles, they flourish and bring glory to God. And listen, this has nothing to do with the woman being created for the man's sake as if she is some kind of slave to him. This is not what Paul is talking about here. She was uniquely created to complement him. And together, the man and the woman, as they fulfill their God-given roles, they thrive together and they bring glory to God. Now listen, because this is very important for us to understand. I want to drive this home to you this morning. The role of the woman is one that needs to be honored. The role of the woman needs to be honored. She holds an honored position in God's perfect design. And God highly esteems the role of the wife and all that he has designed for her to be. But sadly, society today has diminished this role and they tell wives that they need to do the role of a man if they want to be honored. Church, that is a lie from the enemy. 
Don't listen to it. Women, realize and recognize that the role that God has created for you as a wife, as a mother, is such a glorious, cherished, honored role. And we as a church must honor this role. The church at large needs to honor this role. Your role as a wife, as a mother, one who compliments your husband, one who bears children and raises them and nurtures them and raises them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that is such an honored place. Honor it, ladies. Men, honor it. Honor the role that your wife has. Honor her role as a mother. Tell her how wonderful it is. Because it's a glorious role. It's a place of honor. And don't let the world tell you otherwise. Because that is the lie from the world, right? That's the lie of the feminist movement. That somehow your role as a wife and as a mother is somehow inferior. No, it's not. Don't listen to that. It's a lie from the enemy. It's an honored role. It's an honored position. They're telling you that your role as one who gets married and bears children and keeps house... Because that's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5. They will tell you that that is to be looked down upon. But listen, church, God does not look down upon that role. He honors it. And we must honor it as well. I can remember last year when Sarah left for the weekend to go uh, attend a conference, a pastor's wives conference, and I was left at home to take care of the boys. And she did her best to leave instructions and make sure I didn't burn anything, and this is when you pull things out of the oven, this is when you put them in, and all of that stuff. And I can remember looking at the clock, and every time I looked at the clock, I'm like, I got to think of the next meal. (laughs) I got to feed these boys. That's what she goes through every day. Wow. And if it's not enough to take care of me, she's taking care of four boys as well. And the hardship the work that she does to take care of me and to take care of our boys and to raise them and nurture them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the driving that she does to go pick them up and take them here and do all of these things and continue to point them to Christ and share wisdom with them, and care for them, and love them, and all of the work that she does, it is such an honored position. It's a magnificent role that God has given to you women. And what an honor it is to have. Remember that. Well, let's look back up at verse 3, because we haven't finished that yet. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, we've established so far that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman. Then notice at the end of verse 3, and God is the head of Christ. And this is what should bring all of this together and help us to understand submission. 
Paul tells us here that God is the authority of Christ. What does it mean? It means that Christ submitted to the Father. Christ lived the life of submission. And this is so important for us to understand. And let me ask you, Christ submitted, but does that mean that Christ is inferior in essence to the Father? Never. Never. Christ is not inferior to the Father. In fact, if you were to go on our website and read what we teach, our doctrinal statement, here's here's what it says about Christ. We teach that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, possesses all the divine excellencies, and in these he is co-equal, consubstantial, that is of one essence, and co-eternal with the Father. The Son is co-equal with the Father. And yet, what did the Son do? Submitted. He submitted. In his incarnation, he willingly submitted himself to the Father in his role as Savior and Redeemer. Now, let me ask you, is submission a bad thing? It's not. Submission is not a bad thing. Remember, Christ submitted. He lived his life in submission. In fact, we see here that submission is a glorious thing. Why? Because if the Son did not submit to the Father's will, you and I would still be dead in our trespasses and sins, and we would be on our way to eternal hell. Christ submitted to the Father. And as Christ submitted to the Father and Christians are submissive to Christ, women are to be submissive to men. And specifically, as we see in 1 Peter 3, wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Now, let me just tell you, I know that what I'm preaching here is completely antithetical to everything that is being said outside of these walls. I know that. I know that the culture around us is telling women that if they submit, that they are somehow less important or less valuable than men. But listen, women, that is not true. That's just your role to play. It's what God has designed for you. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy because he wants to destroy God's perfect design for you and I. In society, in the church, and in the family. He wants to destroy it. He wants us to think that male headship and female submission is hateful and chauvinistic. But that is just not true. It's not true. It's God's perfect design for us. Now, are men perfect leaders? No. No, not perfect leaders. I'm not a perfect leader. Still have more to grow in. All of the men here still have more to grow in as leaders. We're not perfect. But that still does not give an excuse to usurp God's plan for men and women. Doesn't give you an excuse to submit. Ladies, God has called men to be those who lead out of love just as the Father sent the Son out of love and the Son submitted to the Father out of love. And the church is called to submit to Christ out of love and wives are to submit to their husbands out of love. Out of love. 
And we as men and women are to fulfill our God-given roles because we love our God above all else. In society, in the church, and in the family. Now, in light of all of that, I want to quickly touch on 1 Peter 3. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. And look at verse 1. As we look at verses 1 and 2, we're going to look here at our first of three points in this passage. And what we will call our first point here, the duty of godly wives. The duty of godly wives. Notice verse 1 and what Peter says there. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Peter begins here in verse 1 and he says, in the same way. Why does he say that? Well, remember, he's just come out of chapter 2 where he talked about us as believers submitting to the government and he talked about slaves submitting to their masters. And then he gave us the example of Christ's submission as the suffering servant. And now he says, in the same way or likewise, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. What is Peter saying here? He's saying, just as citizens should submit to ruling authorities, and just as slaves are to submit to their masters, so wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Now, just to be clear, he's not saying that the relationship between a slave and a master is the same relationship that is to be had between a wife and a husband. That's not what he's saying. A wife is not a husband's slave. She's not. But this word in the same way here, in the Greek, it's it's connecting this back to the topic of submission that Peter has been addressing at the end of chapter 2. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands. And if you remember back in chapter 2 and verse 13, and even down in verse 18, that submissiveness is a voluntary submission. The same is true here. Wives are to willingly submit to their husbands. It's to be done in a willing, voluntary attitude. Willingly submit to your husband. And this is not a suggestion that Peter is giving here. It's a participle that he uses here. But this participle here for be submissive, it functions as an imperative. It's a command. You are to do this. But you are to do it willingly, voluntarily. Submit to your own husband. That's what God commands wives to do. They are to submit to the leadership of their own husbands. Not someone else's husband, but to their own husband. Why would Peter say that? Well, as we're going to see, some of these women, they got saved while their husbands were still unsaved. They were married. They got saved. Their husband is an unbeliever. And so Peter here is emphasizing the uniqueness and oneness of the marriage relationship to your own husband. So that if you are married to a believer or to an unbeliever, your duty is to submit to your own husband. Why? Because he's the head, as we saw back in 1 Corinthians 11. One commentator says, To operate effectively, the home, like every human institution, must have a head, someone who is the final authority. God assigned that position to the husband. God assigned it to the husband. It's a unique role of the husband. He is to lead the family as the one who provides and protects and cares for those in whom he is leading. 
But why? Why would a godly wife do that? Why would she submit to her husband? Well, to answer that, we're going to look at one more passage this morning. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll wrap it up with this. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see where Paul is giving the roles of the wife and the husband, telling them how they are to function in the marriage. Notice what he says there in Ephesians 5 and verse 22. He says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Why is a wife supposed to submit to her own husband? Because her submission to her husband shows her submission to the Lord. Her submission to her husband shows her submission to the Lord. She says, Lord, you are master, you are king, you are the Lord over me, and what you have commanded me to do is to submit to my husband because you are Lord and you are master. Yes, I will do it. And I'll do it willingly. Because I love you. Because I submit to you, Lord, and what you've commanded me to do. And her desire then in that is to glorify God and to please Him above all things. But listen, a wife who does not submit to her husband is a wife who is also not submitting to the Lord. A wife who is not submitting to her husband is a wife who is not submitting to the Lord. Ladies, this is God's special role for you. Whether you are here and are a wife or will be a wife or one day or even if you're divorced or widowed, this is God's role for women. For women who are married, And this needs to be encouraged with those who are married and taught to those who are not yet married. This is God's perfect design. And this is the role for women, for wives, to submit to their own husbands. And ladies, remember that you have an honored position. It's an honored position as a wife. God specially designed you for your unique role that he has called you to function in. We read it this morning in our call to worship. He knit you together your mother's womb and he created you as a female with this specific role for you to live in to bring glory to his name and as you submit and your husband leads as each one of you functions in your God-given role there will be sweet harmony that will come in your marriage. Well, there's a lot more to say about 1 Peter 3, but we'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and thank you for your perfect design of man and woman. Lord, I thank you for the women who are here, the women who are a part of Faith Bible Church and the role that you have called them to. Father, I pray that you would help them to submit to their husbands, to 
submit to the leadership that is over them. And Father, that they would do it as unto the Lord. Father, we know that the lies of the enemy are all around us, and they are loud. Father, I pray that you would help us to listen to the truth of you. May that be louder in our lives so that we might live out these truths that you have revealed to us in your word. We love you so much and we thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that you have created a perfect plan, a perfect design for us. Help us to be faithful in that and to do it all for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.